Tonight we're going to talk about what mean these stones. I don't know about you, but I really enjoy studying the Old Testament. It's written in such a fashion that you read about all of the great lessons, great events, stories, and then you can take them and you can find an application in our lives today. And there's so many parallels, if you will, between Old Testament Israel being the chosen people of God and New Testament Israel being the Lord's church. In fact, as Paul wrote in Galatians 6 and verse 16, and as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And so there's a lot to learn from the stones in Joshua chapter 4. And so here's what we're going to do tonight. I'm going to probably summarize some of the passages we will look at. Uh, maybe just pull a verse or two out of them. But we're going to talk about, to begin with, the making of a memorial. This event that occurred in Joshua 4, what was the importance of it? Then number two, I want us to look at some memorial milestones. As you go through the Old Testament and then you go through the New Testament, there's some things that were like the Roman markers along their roads. Uh, it's almost like the markers we have along our roads today that will tell you this is something that is a, a marker, a place, and there's some of those found in Scripture. And then finally, a meaningful memorial. When that memorial becomes something special to you. So let's begin looking at the making of one. And God intended that the children of Israel, when they crossed the Jordan, to make a memorial here on this time. And I want you to, if you will, if you've got your Bibles open there to the book of Joshua, let's back up to chapter 3 for just a minute. Let's look at verses 12 through 16. Um, I want you to visualize what God had planned for them here. In verse 12, it says, Now therefore take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand up as a heap. And so it was when the people set out from the camp to cross over the Jordan, that the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priest who bore the ark dipped into the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all of its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters came down from upstream, stood still, and rose up in a heap, very far away from Adam, the city that is by Zeratan. So the waters went down to the Sea of Arva, the salt sea failed, and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. I want you to just visualize in your mind. They come and just as soon as a priest's foot steps in the water, what happens? You remember the parting of the Red Sea? Now you have the parting of the Jordan River so that the children of Israel, oh, what a powerful miracle this was that the children of Israel could see it. Now if you get to chapter 4 and you look at verses 1 through 7, there were stones to be removed from the riverbed. And that's what uh, Brother Danny read to us, so I'm not going to read all of this again. But they get to the Jordan, 
And each one of them takes a shoulder, one from each of the tribes, puts it on their shoulder, and they arrive on the other side. You get to chapter 4, verses 19 through 24, however, and there's going to come from that questions. Because later on, there will be children who are going to come and see that. And he says, verse 19, Now the first people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped in Gilgal, which is on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took up out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. And then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, what are these stones? Then you shall let the, know, the children of Israel know, saying, Israel crossed over Jordan on dry land. He goes on to say, God dried up the waters of the Jordan until you had crossed over. It's exactly like the Red Sea, crossing over on dry land. You look at a map, you know the Dead Sea is that large body of water at up to the north of it is the Sea of Galilee and the river that flows from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea is called the River Jordan. Uh, it literally means out of Dan. But right across that you'll see uh, Shidon, which is the Acacia Grove over in the land of Moab. And you'll see Gilgal right next to Jericho on the east or the west side of the Jordan. Now here's a photo of the Jordan normally at one of its larger parts. If you get a little bit closer, most of us would say the Jordan River looks a lot like a creek. Just a little short hop across it. In fact, whenever we go to visit the Jordan River on our tours, uh, Brother Tim is about as far away as the widest spot. So, I mean, it's not very far. And some places you might even, if you've got a good running go, jump across it. It's that uh, near. But if you'll remember when I read from Joshua chapter 4 that the Jordan overflows at this time of year. And when it overflows, it's not just a little narrow creek now. It's something that is probably the width of the front of our parking lot to the back of our parking lot or even maybe further than that. And so when now the priest stand on this and they go through on dry land, you're talking about a considerable uh, walking through. Now I want us to talk about some memorial milestones. Because when you start going through the Old Testament, they start popping up and you say, oh yeah, that's something to remember. Do you remember when Jacob met God at Bethel? He had the vision of the ladder going up into heaven and his conversation with God there in Genesis chapter 35 said God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paden Aram and blessed him. God said, your name is Jacob. You should not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. And then he goes talks about his descendants to him. In verse 14, so Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked to him. Pillars a standing stone. Think of the stones like, for instance, at Stonehenge. He sets up a very tall stone and he says, this is where I talk to God. People could be able to come back to Bethel later. There's where God talked to Jacob and changed his name. It wasn't just that, though. If you'll remember, 
when Moses went up to the mount with God and he spoke with him and God gave him the instructions, he gave him instructions, for instance, of all things like how the tabernacle was to be built. And there was to be a chest called the Ark of the Covenant and in it was the two tables of stone, Aaron's rod that budded, but there was something else in there and there was a, a pot of manna. Exodus chapter 16 says this manna was like white coriander seed and had the taste of wafers made with honey. But if you'll drop down with me to verse 33, and it says, And Moses said to Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. Ah, you see, there's a, there's a pot of manna. Why do you need that in the Ark of the Covenant? Because generations to come need to know that it's going to be kept. I find it interesting also that even other memorials were to be kept, like a written record about the Amalekites. You remember as they were coming out, going through the Exodus, the Amalekites sought to stand in their way. We read in chapter 17 of Exodus, the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. For I will utterly blot out the remembrance from Amalek from under heaven. We learn that God said, I want there to be a memorial. I want it to be remembered. This is a specific instance. There's also others. I think about the feast of the Old Testament. You had the feast of the Passover in Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. He says, so this day shall be to you a memorial. Every year that day would come and they would keep a feast of the Passover reminded of the passing over of the death angel that began in Egypt. Or the Feast of Tabernacles when they would build their own little tent, if you would, after they had settled into the land. And that was to remember that they had been a people who had lived in tents during those 40 years and in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 42, you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generations may, I, may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. Ah, it's a memorial. I find it interesting today that if you go to Israel and people have a little balcony, they set up a tent right out there on that balcony. Because they want to remember living in tents. It was a memorial. Many of you remember not too long ago, we studied from the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And you read the book of Esther, and Queen Esther was raised up by God for a particular time. And through Mordecai, her uncle, they were able to prevent the slaughter of the Jewish people. And there was a feast that was given for it called the Feast of Purim. And in Esther chapter 9, verse 28, so they call these days Purim after the name Pure. Therefore, because of all the words of this letter, what they had seen concerning the matter and what had happened to them, the Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants and all would join them that without fail they should celebrate these two days every year. You know, just like we celebrate some things in our lives, this was a remembrance, a memorial for them. 
Perhaps one of the most vain memorials, though, was not one given by God. You remember the son of David by the name of Absalom. He was a very vain man. Vain in so many different ways, but he was afraid that nobody would remember him. We remember him from Scripture. But 2 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 18, or 18, 18 says, Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself, which is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name, and to, to this day it is called Absalom's Monument. In other words, he was afraid everybody's going to forget him, and so if I don't have a son to remember my name, so he's going to set up a monument, and I didn't put it on the screen, but there's actually a monument in the Kidron Valley that is Absalom's Monument. But you see, we come to the New Testament, though, and there's some milestones here as well, but the one that really is the most uh, capturing of our attention is the Lord's Supper. That is the great one. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's the reason why when we come to passages like Acts 20, verse 7, now on the first day of the week when the disciples were, came together to break bread. This morning we came and we assembled around this table and we partook of the bread and the fruit of the vine to remember the Lord's death on the cross, His body and His blood in Acts 2, verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. That means that every time they assembled on the first day of the week, they continued in that. But now I want to get to the last part of meaningful memorials. You know, we have memorials in our country almost seemingly every month or two. We have a memorial for veterans. We have a memorial for a man tomorrow by the name of Martin Luther King. There will be other memorials, and a lot of people will look at these memorials and just simply, oh, it's a day off. Without ever taking time to let the memorial be meaningful to them. I want you to observe these stones, the children will have to be taught why these stones were placed there. God expects us to teach our children, you know, we, we teach in history in school why our city or our civic memorials, our national memorials are important. But when they come here and they go in our Bible classes or when they are at your home and their children say to you, why, why do we do this? Why do we do that? Exodus chapter 12. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say it's a Passover sacrifice to the Lord. You're killing this animal. You're going to eat it. And the kids are going to say, why are we doing this? It's the Lord's Passover. God preserved us. 
during the leaving, the exodus. Or Exodus 13, verse 14. And so it will be when your son asks in the time to come, what is this? Then you shall say to him, by the strength of the Lord's hand of the Lord, brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. I like the way Deuteronomy, when Moses writes it, records it in verse 20 and 21 of chapter 6. When your son asks you in a time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, the judgments of the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to them, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. There's going to be children say, what's this Bible about? What are all these stories that are recorded in there? What do they mean? Deuteronomy 11, verse 19 You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. What that means is, yes, there's time for instruction, but you can teach a lot while you're just walking by the way. When you're you're going out, maybe you're driving in a car to the the farm or something, you can spend a lot of time doing that. But I save Psalm 78 to the last because this to me is the chapter that captures it. He said in verse 3 of Psalm 78, which we have heard and known and our fathers told us, we will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. For He has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born. Do you realize that sometimes when you're sitting, you're listening to a sermon, I've heard that sermon before. But some of the children that sit here haven't heard them. Some of your children to come will still need to hear these messages repeated over and over so that they understand. Verse 7, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of his God, but keep his commandments. You see, if you don't instill these principles, these passages, these various teachings, the children in the generation to come won't know God. We erect and create memorials because we do not want people to forget. We have an emotional appreciation. We must never allow ourselves to forget God's work. I'll just use an illustration since it's very fresh in my mind. Twice this past week, I have seen either former military personnel or active military personnel taking fold a flag of our country. And I've seen those men come and stand before the family and say, on behalf of a grateful nation, you're being presented this flag. And then you hear taps being played and, and that you think, 
it almost makes tears well up in your eyes because you, you realize the sacrifice that so many people have put in so that we can enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy. But do you realize those same things exist in the church? And we've got to keep them meaningful. We've got to make sure that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's not as if we're just going through some sort of a, a ritual. We're trying to remember and if we can have within ourselves that same sort of emotional respect, our children are going to see it in our eyes. Listen to Deuteronomy 8, verse 10. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his statutes. I knew tonight... Many of us were going to be here a little bit older. It's our obligation to make sure that our children don't forget all the good things that God has given us and all the wonderful things that you and I enjoy. If we forget, then we're not going to be fair to this generation. Psalms 917, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. If you and I want... The United States, to be a nation that is lost, all we have to do is fail to teach our children about the great God and what he's done. Now you think back. Twelve men passed through the dry Jordan Riverbed, each of them picking up a shoulder and placing it upon his stones. Solomon, or not Solomon, Joshua erected these at Gilgal. And these had a great meaning. God did not want them to forget who they were, where they had come from. He wanted them to appreciate his mercy. And tonight, we need to realize what God has done for us. Jesus came to this earth, God in the flesh. He lived a life of perfection, not just good, perfection. And then he took it upon himself to be the sacrifice for our sins. He was put on a cross. He died. He was buried in a tomb that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. On Sunday morning, he came forth triumphant out of that tomb, resurrected, raised from the dead. You and I, because of what he did, can have our sins forgiven. We will be resurrected. What a wonderful thought in mind. What do these stones mean to you? Oh, they're very precious. What does the sacrifice of the Lord mean to you? It's something very precious. If you need to obey the gospel tonight, or you need to be restored, we're going to sing the song, Oh, why not tonight? Would you come as together we stand and sing? Oh,